Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey there. Hello, guys. So I have a question for you guys. Yep. Do you think it's reasonably possible for us to be on the same continent, in the same time zone, and further away from each other? Because <laughs> I think this is the first time we've done this. I think this is the first time we're all in the Eastern time zone. Right. However, yeah. um, I don't, it would, be, it would be hard, I think we'd be hard pressed to be further away from each other on the Northern continent. Northern <laughs> continent. I guess so. So even I guess Carlos could be closer to Miami. Uh, yeah. that's, that's what I'm thinking. Like, he could move. I mean, there's a lot of Canada you could go north. <laughs> that's true. There's a lot of north I could get to. I don't know if you can get internet access in that lot of north. Right? <laughs> right. Satellite. <laughs> that's right. Starlink from this point forward. Right. So, uh, so welcome, everyone. I think we should shout out to our newest uh, fan, uh, Sharon, from Pythian. Shout out to Sharon. She's providing uh, valuable um, uh, noise within the organization to showcase the awesomeness of the sweet spot. Thumbs up to Sharon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it did kind of occur to me that, that while we post videos to LinkedIn every week, um, what we don't seem to do is have a subscribe link to our channel and for the most sure. thing i get is um cool i've watched one or so episodes i'd really like to subscribe how the hell do i subscribe probably something we should like we all work <laughs> in a space where that should be obvious we are so yeah. much worse at this business right running a podcast than we are at any of our industry <laughs> On the on the on the shorts, I put to subscribe to the app so they can get access and we can send them all the stuff. But I, I will I will add the subscribe to that podcast link. <laughs> uh, checklist. Uh, checklist. I, I realize nobody wants another app on their phone. Yeah. Right. Could be. However, the AI that Carlos added to our app is kind of amazing. Yep. Gen AI. Right, the ability yeah. to just type in, kind of, hey, I thought I heard them talking about this thing. Where is this thing? Right. And it literally gives you the clip and the minute, the transcription, and you can click on it to play from that point. See, um, I, I haven't seen anybody else really do it in any of the other podcasts that I listen to, um, and, and I myself have used it three or four times. Again, we don't talk about it, which is bad on our part, but it's a really nice thing. We have. How many hours of content do we do we have, Carlos? Are we over? Last over time that I checked, it's probably over 130 hours of transcribe and index video and audio content. We're creeping pretty close to 200 episodes. Like last time I looked, we were 187, 188. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, if you think about that, that's almost 200 episodes of leadership content. Yeah. yeah. I think think about how that would be if we were focused and had like a schedule. <laughs> the irony is it's only two hours of actual valuable content, but <laughs> it's all indexed and available. So you can <laughs> and even that, some repeat. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because people actually enjoy some podcasts that may help them decompress and learn, or the people want to go into the deep, uh, give me a specific of the content. So. There's an audience for everyone. Uh, 
but I've been getting a lot of people actually reaching out to say, hey, do you want some guests for the podcast? Yeah. We, we will always take guests for the podcast. Yep. All right. So, so since Howard is late uh, dramatically today, we have a condensed amount of timing to deliver. I know. He's out of the garage. We need to give him a, <laughs> uh, he's out of the garage. So, Carlos, uh, to move us to the next side, give us the bridge. So, I think that one of the questions that sometimes technologists that may be already in their journey as leaders or that are starting may have, because we probably see all these ads about get a degree, get a master's, get a bachelor's in technology, uh, cybersecurity, all this kind of stuff. Can a technologist or a technology professional be successful without having an official educational program like a post-secondary degree? Absolutely not. <laughs> I know zero of them. <laughs> I know zero of them. Well, the question was posed to me as early as 8 a.m. today, right? Um, the assumption was since there are so many tools and it's relatively easy to generate code and I could stack overflow anything that actually exists. And the reality is, is you don't write a lot of new code from scratch anymore. Could one actually be a developer right out of high school? Is there enough tools? Is there enough code snippets? Is there enough self-learning capability that exists for me to be an active and productive developer? The assumption from this other person was yes. Are you still with the, what if I narrow the window, right? You're a active and valuable junior developer. You don't have to narrow the window in any way. I think I've talked about my history on this show plenty so that everybody knows how I feel about it. Right. Right. Do I think you need to go $150,000 in debt to have a career in IT? Absolutely unequivocally not. <laughs> right. Do, do I think, you know, in between your junior and senior year, you should get your A plus certification or you should take a Java class or sure. Absolutely. Do I think you need to go into debt for this career? No. However, and, and I say that as someone like I wrote my first piece of software when I was 11, I was consulting in high school. I never went to college. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I don't, I don't do a lot of looking up anymore, if that makes sense. Right. Like, like the, the, the right. ceiling is there's, there's effectively no, no remaining ceiling. Right. I don't, I don't look and go, well, if I only had, you know, this piece of education, I could have this job. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't find that to be the limiting factor anymore. Um, but are you the that, unicorn? Like, no. while that's true for you, you're incredibly effective executive technologist. Did you struggle through that pain of not having absolutely? I, I absolutely did. But it, but it, but more than half of it came from myself. Hmm. You know, I mean, more than half of that was imposter syndrome saying you can't you'll never be as good as they are because you don't have a you don't have a degree. Hmm. Um, and and would my trajectory have been quicker? Potentially, but I also may have plateaued at a, at a uh, you know at a at an earlier age. Um, how, however, I'm not a unicorn. There are plenty. I mean, the um, cannot remember the guy's first name, and it drives me crazy. But last name Bach, 
the son of Richard Bach, the guy that wrote Jonathan Livingston's Teagle in the 60s. Um, he never graduated high school and had a very, very, very successful career at Apple. Hmm. He wrote a book, Tales of a Buccaneer Scholar, that is all about kind of his lessons learned as someone that, that didn't have the formal education and thus had to kind of learn on the job. And it's incredible. It's a really good book, kind of similar to The Phoenix Project, if you've read that, right, in, in kind of length and narrative style. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It's really well done. Um, Blizzard, right, Activision, Blizzard Entertainment, and many gaming companies have hired people directly out of high school because they wrote mods for video games. And those mods for video games became popular and showed their ability to write in, in various forms of code, including, including Lua. Um, and they hired them, and they and those people have had successful careers as well. I think everyone can can really define and build their own path. However, it's not shorter. <laughs> right. right. It it it's cheaper in dollars. It's not cheaper in anything else. Right. If you go to college, what you're doing is you're signing up for what's really five years, but we'll call it four years. Right. You're signing up for four years of structured directionality, Mm -hmm. right? At the end of four years, you will have achieved um, a level of acceptable knowledge in a series of topics that hiring managers have agreed have value, right? And if someone shows up with a BS and CS, um, I know what to expect from them. Right. There's a baseline level of knowledge I expect them to have. And that expectation is reasonable. If you do not have that, there is no baseline that I can establish. Right. And so you have so much more work to do both in that education, because there is no um, prescriptive path to do it yourself and in kind of proving it, because, again, no one's certified that you have that you have done it. Right. Other than certifications itself. But that's what I was going to go. So uh, if you have someone with a BS in CS, no experience, and you get someone that, let's say, long time ago, MCSE with four years of experience at working. I'll take the BS. And you as, take the BS. As someone that doesn't have a BS, I would take the BS. Why? Because they start with things like, how does a computer work? Let's, we're going to build our own CPU in a lab. We're going to but they have not done it. storage controller in the... Yeah. However, the second I step outside the MCSE, what knowledge does that, do I know that person has for sure? Correct. I understand right. that part. Applicability of knowledge. Yes. Right? So, so within, within the context of the certification, I can trust that the person with the certification is likely better than the person without, with, with no experience. I was going to say without the certification, but that's not correct, but with no experience. However, outside that realm, I can I can also expect the person with a bachelor's degree to have a wider breadth of knowledge that is foundational. And so I, I should be able to expect that there are, there are foundational aspects that they will have that the person with the MCSE and, and experience will not have. And I'm not saying that that's always true, but I will mm-hmm. tell you that 90% of the time, the person with foundational, the foundational understanding of the technology is going to be more valuable to me than the person without. And given just those two examples, that, that is the conclusion that I would draw. Um, it doesn't mean that, that one doesn't have it and the other one is guaranteed to have it, right? But, but I do find that 
there are a ton of people that have certifications and degrees that have no idea how this stuff actually works. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're constantly having those, I'm constantly having those discussions, right? You jumped to a conclusion based on a guess you made about how storage fundamentally operates and it doesn't work that way at all. Right. Right. Or MCSE is a great example, right? Because I've had this conversation with an MCSE, they're troubleshooting performance problem. And I go, the, did you look at the Q depth? Cause this is obviously a storage issue. Well, no, I don't even know what Q depth is. Mm -hmm. Right. But that is not even instructed at university. That is experience. Um, no, not, not, no. You can understand the concept, but when you go to troubleshoot, yes, you have never, but understanding what, how, how the fundamental pieces operate. Has you yeah. looking for things that if you don't know those pieces even exist, you won't even look for. So I, you can I agree. find the Q depth, but you know that one exists and what the and what the the function of it is, and thus a uh, quick Google search, right? Yeah. That's the value of the academic world. Now, my CS degrees were a long time ago. So the technology that I learned then is different than the technology that exists now, right? I came out of school with half of it being COBOL, half of it being Pascal, right? Uh, so that I had object-oriented programming and I had arguably business logic programming um, amongst other sort of fundamental CS type infrastructure or hardware level settings. What that gave me when I came out was a real building block understanding of what it makes, what makes software actually run, what the fundamental algorithms are in object-oriented programming. Like I could program a substring if I had to, right? I could uh, detail what a linked list was going to be implemented or how pointers work to memory. And that fundamental knowledge allowed me to apply that to almost any type of language I needed to use. So my very first job was a combination of COBOL and Smalltalk. Having no small talk background, I easily applied the object-oriented programming knowledge I had to that world to fully appreciate what the different class structures were going to look like. Right? I had a deep understanding of the code base just by having the academic knowledge of object-oriented programming. Okay, now I want to go back and say there's nothing at all stopping you from getting that academic knowledge outside of academia. True. Right. When I first started with Novell, I was, I was still in, sorry, I was still in high school, middle school, high school. Um, and I just read the books from end to end. And it was, you know, if you remember the Nobel bookshelf was this big bookshelf. Um, I didn't know where to go to find the problem because I was asked to solve something having never seen Nobel. So I just read the, the books end to end. When I went and tested, it was, I had this, I built up in my mind that this was going to be really freaking hard because this certified, you knew what you were doing. And I had only read the books and spent about a year working on it. Mm -hmm. um, I passed with flying colors because, because I, I did both the academic and the practical. And then I just assumed because I did it myself and no one, I didn't have anybody to tell me any different that there was a whole bunch of stuff that I was missing because it, it couldn't be this easy. And then the, honestly, the MCSE was the same. I was right. I, I was at Verizon. I was studying with a group, right? There were a, a group of us that were selected as the, the top technologists at Verizon. Um, we went up and studied at the Calabasas office and it, 
it, I, I just expected it to be harder. And so I was the first person in the room so that I had the most time to, to kind of test. And then I was also the first person out because none, not one test was harder than, was nearly as hard as I expected it to be, mm. right? Um, I found that over and over again. However, the amount of prep that I did is greater when I started seeing college kids and what they were doing, my, my prep was far greater than theirs. The amount that I read, the amount that I consumed, the level of effort that I put into learning this stuff was far greater than what they did. How about the practical prep? So yes, I fully appreciate that the CS degrees I have was creating fundamental knowledge for me to apply and build software in a, in a, in a sort of academic structured way. But then I'm also an advisor on the masters of technology leadership that exists for the purpose of many ways creating middle management right technology management right it gives them the here's what being a cfo of it means right here's the fundamental requirements of capitalization here's how to lead technology teams like those sort of practical this is what it means to 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 lead people in a technology world does that have practical value no, I think that has enormous practical value. And I think, I think, especially the finance pieces, I think are far easier to get in academia <clears throat> than OJT, right? Or, or as I refer to it, UHK, University of Hard Knocks. <laughs> By the way, if someone says they went to UHK as their university and you say that's a great school, you better do it with a smile. <laughs> because right. University of Hard Knocks, UHK, it's not the University of Hong Kong. University, <laughs> right? So I, I've I've had people ask that, and I say, "Oh, I went to UHK," and they go, "Oh, that's a really good school," and they were dead serious. <laughs> right? Maybe that's just their default response to any I, question. No, I think it is. I think it is. Right? Oh, there's a lot of schools. I can't remember them all. So fuck it. They're all good schools. <laughs> but, but so that's one thing. So I let me ask you: if There's any boundaries? So. Sure, developer, I can learn Java in 21 days. Easy peasy. I could be actually a pretty effective Java developer in 21 days. But does that apply to data science? Does that apply to complex algorithm creation for AI? Does that apply to I think it's very to invention? Hard. I think it's very hard. But you can't you can't say no, but I think it's very hard to be a self-taught, to be self-taught to the level of PhD in mathematics or PhD in statistics. Right, masters right. in economics. I think it's very hard to have that that level of depth in the things that are mathy or physics would be another one, right? Um, right? And those have a ton of applicability in the hardest parts of computer science, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's no way. Like, I, I think I'm a pretty bright guy. I learn. I still in my 40s learn very very quickly. I pick up stuff like a sponge still. However, there's no way I'm doing those things. I'm not writing my own. I'm not de-scrambling someone else's algorithm. I'm going to find an expert that will tell me if this algorithm is applicable to my use case. Right. right. Um, it, it's just, it's just not. But you're not going to look at a complex neural network and say, aha, there's the problem. Uh, uh, not, <laughs> not likely. Right. right. I might look at a complex neural network and it's obvious where the problem is. Right. right? But no, for the most part, that's not what I'm going to do. Missing parentheses? Right. Uh, how about on the real world application side? Let's say the OT side, where algorithms are used to create, um, you know, self 
driving cars is that does that require academic expertise no just based on the risk no significance no because the algorithms are still going to be created by someone that that specializes in that there are 800 jobs around that person to make the self-driving car work the rest of the way right True. i don't think there's any industry you can't get into there are specific jobs and specific roles that that you will benefit from having formal education um however if you are dedicated enough it's not really a barrier right i've taken college classes when i needed some particular piece of knowledge i've taken Right. Classes, classes that didn't have college credit taught by professors, right? I mean, you just kind of like, like you can still uh, assemble the knowledge. Right. And I don't think there's a problem with assembling that knowledge. Again, there are some things that you may find are just prohibitive to try to DIY. And, and, and the only ones that I really come up with are those dealing with like hard math. Right, like being a quantitative analyst, right, is going to be very hard without this the associated degree. And there and is that's the invention side, the applicability, like all the auto ML tool sets that one has. You should be able to apply existing algorithms easily with over and over, no and over, and over, and over, and over, over. Yeah, yeah. Right, and you don't need deep math. You need to understand what the purpose of the algorithm is and be able to read the paper that talks through the purpose of the algorithm. And I do that all the time. And I'll yeah. be honest, when I see the equation, I skip it. Like I try to understand it, but I don't spend a lot of time trying to descramble the algorithm. I'm not testing, is the algorithm correct or not? I'm trying to see what is the applicability of this algorithm and what is its efficacy. And you're choosing the graph in many ways, right? So where, where's the best fit? Which one of these 10 is correct. the best fit for this particular problem set? Correct. How about executive hierarchy? So uh, manager, director, VP, CIO, CTO, is there any value in post-secondary education? Do I need a master's degree to be a partner at KPMG in IT? What's... I mean, KPMG probably wants you to have a master's degree to be to be a partner. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Like, like there are absolutely jobs where they want you to have a degree. Does it make you better at it? No. Right. No, it just doesn't. Um, and, and and I'm going to say something that's going to make a lot of people mad, but <laughs> wait, but, wait, on, wait. <laughs> but on, I think an MBA creates a waste of a person. And I know that's a really harsh thing to say, but I know so many people that are proud of got their MBA and then can't think their way out of that box. And that is such an incomplete education. An MBA should be the foundation to start your thinking. And what I find is an MBA is the totality of the box that thought exists within, right? If you have an MBA, please, dear God, think around it, think above it and think beyond it and work beyond it. But if everything that you've done in your career lived and died on the pages of your MBA program, you're adding no value to the world. Please stop it. Certainly MBA programs have evolved over 20 years, right? What was true 20 years ago is was much more courseware now it's much more work in industry almost like a um uh, an apprenticeship right so learn financials apply financials learn product packaging apply product packaging learn pricing apply pricing um, and that might extend the period a bit but at least you have more practical knowledge at the end yeah, but, but in the last 20 years universities have universally become diploma mills also true right like 
like, okay, sure, they've changed the coursework for an MBA to make it more of a practical MBA. And they have practical MBA programs, which are different than MBA programs. Sure. Right. A program that is written as a practical MBA program often doesn't require a bachelor's degree to join it frequently, yeah. not all the time, um, and is really based on kind of here are the eight practical areas that we're going to study. Yeah. And you get a certification at the end of it. it may not be a degree, but but whatever. Um, those I actually think are quite valuable. Yeah. Right. Practical MBAs for people who find themselves in or near leadership, I think, are really um, can be really useful. Um, I, I will say. Um, you can get the same experience changing industries to industries that do those things and working in those things, mm. right? Um, with the exception of, you actually have to study the finance pieces. It's hard to get the level of exposure to the finance pieces that you need to be really competent at it. And it's one area that, it, it is the area that I'm the weakest, mm. right, by far. Um, that, that's probably true of most CIO and CTOs. The finance, the legal the tax, all those aspects of sort of corporate governance usually is the furthest away from the day-to-day -day workings of a CIO and CTO. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm closest to the law. Yeah. Right. So shouldn't that be the the area where you partner with other departments so you right. stay mm -hmm. good and you bring them in? Yeah, and that's what I do. Right. I partner with other with other departments. I look for those skills in my second hand. Right. Um, I, I, I I could I, I learn some of it like I pick it up, obviously, but I don't spend time studying it. I don't find it to be fascinating. And if I don't find it fascinating, I'm not adding the skills. <laughs> right. I'm just not doing it. They need to create a fantasy novel of financial concepts. Uh, I'd be fine with like a fantasy league of financial concepts. <laughs> right. like, a D &D, like a D and D book for law or for finance. I'm good, I'm good with I'm good, I'm good with instead of Dungeons and Dragons. No, nobody wants to play accountants and lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> you know the, I mean? the MBA program that I would find most appealing and interesting is an international MBA where. I'm spending time in different countries, different parts of the world, applying how they do business culturally to um, as compared to everywhere else. Sure. So I got asked to speak at an international MBA program uh, and and they were specifically Southeast Asian. Mm -hmm. was their, their, th this particular group, it was 15 students or something. It was their their field of study. Um, they, did, they didn't care at all about the international aspects, not even a little bit. Really? Not, not even that would be the most appealing to me. Uh, uh, yeah, that, it was to me too, right? I yeah. got asked to speak, and I'm like, I don't, I don't, like, I'm not an international, right? MBA kind of like I've been a technologist, and and I'm a technology executive, and they're like, yeah, we decided you're going to be the one to speak. <laughs> so I did the same thing that I always do, right? I spent a bunch of time studying how business works in Southeast Asia because SEA was the the region, um, and, and I mean, I dug into modern practices, where the growth is, why the growth is, what nations matter, you know, down to how they how they pay, how they consume. Because banking, banking in, in um, NICs, new industrialized countries, is com complicated. Right. Um, how do you manage banking in an area where the concept of a perpetual ID doesn't exist? Hmm. The concept of something like a birth certificate doesn't exist. Right. How do you do banking there? How do you do healthcare there? So anyways, so I spent all this time studying, right? I even had notes 
And I went, okay, cool, let's talk about Southeast Asia. And they went, yeah, actually, we don't want to. <laughs> we live here. We're, we got it. And, and I'm like, wait a minute. Isn't that what you're studying? Isn't that why I was brought here? Yeah, but we want to talk about this other stuff instead. <laughs> oh. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> you don't like to do stuff with our notes. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I don't, like, I don't like not having notes. But it was fine because all they did was ask questions that were really just general, like, how do I get a job questions? Right. Right. Um, what does, like, how does business operate? Right. And those are pretty In universal. Sense. Yeah. Right. Um, they asked a bunch of, yeah, they asked, just asked a bunch of universal questions and it was fine. Um, but it didn't leave me going international MBA is where it's at. It right. left me with exactly the same thought I had before. And this was a, a, an incredibly expensive, like Harvard cost school. Right. Right. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't leave feeling and 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 the other guy that I was there were two of us that were speaking and the other guy all he did was business in Southeast Asia. I see. So he would have a, a master's understanding of that. Correct. Correct. And every time he brought up something about Asia, him and I were interested in it. Yeah. They had blank looks on their faces. Right. I mean like this concept had never been introduced to them. Because they have student loans now to pay. So the faster they can get a job the better. Well, but but again, they had never heard what it was like to work in the very right. region that they had been studying. Right. They they probably knew like what are the tariff requirements. You know what I mean? They probably right. knew what is the the legality around hiring people in those countries. I guess I don't know, right? But everything that we brought up, they had no knowledge of. So so I, I like MBA. I think there's some some value there. But again, right. Um, I think an MBA is something that augments a, a real degree, hmm. right? Um, and again, real degree. I was, I'm serious in what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask one last question before. So technology, so CIO down, all of the components of, of that program, whether it's security or app dev or IT, um, while a degree, an undergrad degree, would be valuable just to give you some base knowledge, it's not necessary. Are there some degrees that are better than other degrees? CS, math, agriculture, fine arts, chemistry, like what's... Okay, so um, I, I think you'll make the most money with uh, a CS degree or um, if... if the university has a really good cybersecurity program, or if the university has a really good data science program, those are great ways to make money. Um, if I were like, if I were to establish the perfect degree program for someone who wanted to be crunchy, it would be an undergrad in um, computer science uh, and a graduate degree in data science with a doctorate in physics or math or probably statistics. Right, Does so humanities would, help at all? Does humanities uh, so not give you people so, understanding? So a liberal arts degree has been shown to have the greatest dollar upside hmm. over time. Why? Because a liberal arts degree, one, it, it creates um, uh, neuroplasticity, hmm. right? It creates flexibility in your mind and your ability to think. Um, and two, 
people with liberal arts degrees, when they succeed, succeed in management and sales. And those are the things that pay the best. <laughs> Very true. But if all you want is dollars, don't fuck with this at all. Just, just <laughs> go into sales. <laughs> right, exactly. Sales is the fastest way to a million dollars in annual revenue for your site. And your ability to uh, be a psychologist and a sociologist and a, uh, and a child caregiver, that will excel you in the sales. 100%. Like get a, you you want to go into sales and you're going to go to college because someone else is going to pay for it, get a degree in psychology. Right. Well, Carlos, that was fun and exciting, even if, even if it was quick. There we have it. If you have the question, do you need a degree? Go back to the beginning, take notes. Probably by the time that you're watching this, the transcription is already in the YouTube channel, one of our other platforms. So take notes, share, and we'll see you on our next episode.